scripture reading for this Easter day is Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place that they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Emerson wrote, faith should blend with the light of rising and of setting suns, with the flying cloud, the singing bird, and the breath of flowers. Lord, let our faith today blend with and even exceed these things of beauty that you have given us this Easter. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen. So with all these other reasons I've outlined that you may be here, a few of you may have returned this Sunday to see how I was going to resolve the cliffhanger that was at the end of last Sunday's sermon. You will remember last Sunday that I focused on a certain young man who appears only in the Gospel of Mark. Following the arrest of Jesus, when Mark and Matthew say all of the disciples deserted him and fled, Mark alone then adds, a certain young man was following Jesus wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. In that sermon last Sunday, I covered a range of options concerning who this young man might be. I mentioned that he may be a teenager awakened in the middle of the night by noise outside his window. He may be an adult bystander drawn by curiosity to police activity in the middle of the night. He may be a recent follower of Jesus, not a disciple, but someone who had left all a few weeks or months earlier and had begun to follow Jesus, someone Jesus was mentoring in newfound faith. I also raised the possibility that this young man might be 
the author of the gospel himself. Just like Alfred Hitchcock wrote himself into cameo appearances in 37 of the 52 films of his we have. If indeed this young man is Mark, the author of the gospel, I added that his writing himself into his gospel would be an act of confession on his part. In confessing his own lack of courage, Mark would be calling us, his readers, to confess times in which we have allowed our own courage to fail in a particular situation which has led us to be less than what God would have us be. The young man fleeing into the shadows thus holds up for us the importance of both confession and courage. But at the end of the sermon, I said we do not know with a certainty what happened to this young man. And all week long, I've been thinking about what might have happened to him, and I've come up with even some more options. Once this young man started running away from the arrest scene, did he, like Forrest Gump, just keep running? Did he, like the prodigal son, waste all that he had in a very short period of time and find himself pining for home? Did he, like Peter, weep bitterly over what he had done? Did he, like Judas, find himself in a desperate solitude? that led him to consider taking his own life? Or was there something, something about this young man that began to pull him back? We do not know. We do not know. All we see in Mark is the young man fleeing into the shadows, his linen cloth left in the clutches of those who have arrested Christ. But there's another possibility that I promise to share with those of you who returned this Sunday. So follow me along as I try to unhang the cliffhanger, I guess is the phrase. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the women who first go to the tomb the third day after Jesus' death find the stone rolled away from the opening to the tomb. What they find next varies somewhat in each gospel. In Matthew, they encounter an angel whose appearance is like lightning and whose clothes are white as snow. In John, it is two angels dressed in white. In Luke, it is two men in dazzling clothes. And in Mark, they find a young man dressed in a white robe. What is interesting to people who have looked at this is that the word Mark uses for the young man at the tomb is the same word he uses to describe the young man who flees into the shadows when Jesus is arrested. Mark uses this word for young man Nowhere else in his gospel except in these two instances. 
We can thus ask, is it possible that Mark intentionally connects the young man who ran away the night Jesus was arrested with the young man dressed in white the morning Jesus was raised from the dead? Is it possible that the young man who fled is the young man in the tomb? If this is the case, then the last to flee when Jesus was arrested becomes the first to announce when Jesus was raised from the dead. Whether this represents Mark writing himself into his gospel or not, in Mark's gospel, the message is the last to flee becomes the first to announce. Now, I need to stop here and say that many of you may be surprised to encounter a discrepancy among the four Gospels concerning who exactly was at the tomb. A young man, two men, an angel, two angels. Those of us who place high value on accurate information and documentation might expect more precision concerning such an important event as the resurrection of Christ. This discrepancy can give us pause concerning how accurate the Bible is as a book and therefore how reliable and how credible it is as the source of our faith. If you have these questions, yours is not the first mind in which they have arisen. Joining with others across the centuries, the best answer I can give to that question is this. Each of these Gospels was written 30 to 60 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Each writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote from a basic set of beliefs that they held in common and was held throughout the early church. The birth, the teachings, the deeds, the death, the resurrection of Christ. Within these basic and common beliefs, each gospel writer sought to convey emphases about Christ that grew out of his relationship with the community in which he was writing, and for which he was writing. And emphases that he would like to share with the world beyond his own community. Each gospel, if you look at the opening of them in the Bible, is entitled, The Good News According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The Good News According to signals what they have in common the good news of Jesus Christ. The individual names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are a signal of the emphases that each gospel writer is going to give within this good news. Thus, when we are reading the good news according to Mark, and we see in Mark that the young man who flees into the shadows when Jesus is arrested might be the same young man who announces the resurrection, we ask, what is Mark teaching us by presenting the last to flee as the first to announce? I have two parts to answering that question. First, in all four Gospels, 
there are numerous people who leave all to follow Jesus, but then don't carry that commitment out. In Matthew and Mark, all of the disciples abandoned Jesus upon his arrest. In all four Gospels, Peter denies knowing who Christ is when Christ is on trial inside the courtroom. And in all four Gospels, Judas betrays Jesus. Yet in all four Gospels, the disciples don't stay away forever. With the exception of Judas, they gather after Jesus' death and resurrection on a mountain in Matthew, in Galilee, in Mark, in the temple in Jerusalem, in Luke, in an upper room, and by the Sea of Tiberias in John. Jesus appears to them at their gatherings, and they are all welcomed back into the fold. Peter's rehabilitated and made a leader of the church. Thomas is allowed to ask his hard questions, to demand signs of proof, and express his not uncommon doubts. The welcome that these returning disciples receive is both widespread and it is personal. In some cases, it is even individualized, tailor-made for the particular disciple. The breadth of the welcome the disciples received after fleeing leads me to say, as I said last week, that had Judas not acted prematurely and taken his own life, he too would likely have been welcomed back into the fold while he had life. It is in this context of welcome that it makes sense to me that the young man who was the last to flee when Jesus was arrested became the first to announce he is risen. But the second part of this answer takes it one step further because this is more than a story about forgiveness or coming home, or being welcomed back. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was such a stone-rolling, earth-moving, lightning-marked event, originating in the cosmos far outside of history and nature, that in the words of the Apostle Paul, the resurrection makes all things new. It reconciles all things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Among things reconciled in the resurrection are people like you and me who fail to follow through. People like you and me who let down on a commitment at a crucial moment. People like you and me who use none of the courage with which we are born because we think it's a diminishing resource. And if we fear we use it in this situation, we think it won't be there next time. But that's not how courage works. In the resurrection, we are welcomed like Peter. In the resurrection, we are welcomed like the other disciples. In the resurrection, we are welcomed like the young man who fled into the shadows. Like him, we are given the voice to proclaim he is risen. Like the other disciples, we are sent to serve and proclaim. 
Not only does the young man who is the last to flee become the first to announce, but all of us who for whatever reasons flee can in and through the resurrection of Christ become proclaimers and announcers, watchers and holy ones. This welcome is deeper than the forgiveness of sins, but it encompasses the forgiveness of sins. This welcome is all things being made new. All things being reconciled, whether on earth or in heaven or under the earth. It is the hope for such newness. It is the hope for such cosmic welcome that likely has drawn you here today. A second question that arises, if in fact Mark has written himself into his gospel, just as Alfred Hitchcock wrote himself into his movies, what is Mark trying to convey to us? The answer to this question is much shorter and simpler. Mark introduces his gospel with these words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. He asserts that his entire gospel is only the beginning of the good news. And he is subtly inviting us to join him to write ourselves into the good good news that he tells, to write the ending of the good news with our own lives, with what we believe, with what we do, and with the consistency between the two. If the good news begins with the story of Jesus Christ, it ends as we write ourselves into its gospel. I don't really know how to end this sermon. last one was a cliffhanger. For everybody. And I guess this one will have to be a cliffhanger for you individually. Because in the resurrection, Jesus Christ invites you to write yourself into the good news. To write its ending. To pick up a pen and a piece of paper and to write how you are going to place yourself in that good news, in that hope, And live in it the rest of your life. The way each of us does that is a cliffhanger. 
but it's a cliffhanger, the ending of which we can write.